My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out, and it's why some people end up following the crowd. But we're not like them. We're part of a new species that isn't afraid to do things differently. I call us FOMO sapiens. And this is the show where you'll meet people like us, phenomenal FOMO sapiens, to learn how they find the courage and the ideas to live exceptional lives. FOMO. FOMO. Welcome to another episode of FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and FOMO Sapiens 24-7. And today we're going to talk about one of those FOMO-inducing things that a lot of us want to do, that we dream of doing, that kids want to do, that is making a movie. And I have a very exciting set of guests on today because they made a movie called What Breaks the Ice, which is out now. And it's a coming of age thriller about two 15 year old girls, Sammy and Emily, who hark from different worlds, but strike up a quick and deep friendship during the summer of 1998, which was the summer of Monica Lewinsky. And while this was supposed to be the best summer of their lives, things take an unexpected turn and let's just say they become accidental accomplices in a fatal crime. So this movie has a lot going on, and my guests do as well. My guests are Rebecca Askris, Megan Bell, and Michael Cuomo. Now, these characters have a lot going on, and so do my guests, Rebecca Askris, Megan Bell, and Michael Cuomo. Now, Rebecca is the writer and director of the film, and her work has been screened at film festivals around the world, including South by Southwest, Toronto, and Munich. And this film, which is her debut project as director, received the Sandra Adair EBW grant from the Austin Film Society, and this allowed her to actually go to the Austin Film Society's Artist Intensive, which was hosted by Richard Linklater, who made the incredible film Boyhood. So she's just, you know, done some very cool things and obviously has gotten some great recognition for the film. Now, alongside Rebecca, I'm also joined by Megan Bell, who is Rebecca's business partner on this film, and she is the production designer and producer of the film as well. And finally, I'm joined by Michael Cuomo, who is the lead creative producer, and he's also an actor, so he actually appeared in the film as well, and he spearheaded casting and creative throughout the process all the way through to relief. And obviously, Megan and Michael have great careers of their own. You can go look them up on IMDb. But if I read you all their credits, we would never get to the interview. And in this interview, you're going to learn a lot of things. You're going to learn how movies get made and how making a movie is a lot like having a startup. You're going to learn about the millions of choices and the rejection and how to overcome those things and be decisive. We're also going to get into the reality that, you know, this is a tough industry. There's FOMO and then there's reality. But like, what should you know if you want to get into this business? What does it actually look like? What are the dynamics of making a film? And do you want to get involved? All right. Now, my small ask this week is an easy one. I want you to go watch this movie. This film, What Breaks the Ice, it's out now. You can find it online. It's on iTunes. It's on Amazon Prime. It's all over the place. So go watch the film. It's a great film. I watched it myself. I really enjoyed it. And it's very cool to see the production design that Meg did about the 1990s because it threw me back to, and I would like to say my childhood, but I was no longer a child. I was a, a young adult. And now onto the interview. So Rebecca, you know, this is her idea. Of course, she put it together with Meg and with Michael, but this is her, this is her baby. So I wanted to start our conversation by asking her my favorite question. What's the most important decision that you've had to make to get to where you are today? 
So I would say there were two big decisions and I think they kind of snowballed into each other. One was obviously the decision to go into this crazy business to begin with. And I, I, you know, everyone has a different journey, but my journey really was, um, I grinded it out in Hollywood working for, you know, big producers and been in New York, a, you know, Academy Award winning director and had a lot of experiences in between there. And, um, I chose the path of really learning the business and learning the craft and, you know, letting myself get beat up with like really long hours and all that, but, but in a learning capacity and, um, and then made of the second big decision, which was that I was going to kind of like jump ship and start doing my own thing. And there's only so many hours in the day. And I think you reach a critical point where you have to decide, okay, I can't keep doing the day job. Even when you have a great boss, I can't keep doing the day job anymore if I'm really going to go and be a filmmaker. And so for me, that those were the two big decisions I made that got me here. Yeah. I think one of the things we're going to talk about today, which, which I love is the fact that making a movie is very entrepreneurial. You are an entrepreneur, your team is entrepreneurial. And a lot of times I never thought about it that way until I talked to people who make films. And I realized that, you know, the creativity, the challenges, the resilience, it's, it's all in there. Like it's, it could, one could make a movie about it. Now I want to get into, before we get into that, I just want to get into sort of how a movie is put together and there's a bunch of different stages but let's just start with the idea rebecca you wrote this film so how did you come up with the idea to tell this story sure so i would say it was part you know artistic uh and and emotional and a story i wanted to tell and then i also think that there's a lot of in the same way you're talking about the entrepreneur space there are only a certain there are certain kinds of films that you can make as your first film. And so I wanted to make something that was meaningful to me, that told a story about um, adolescence uh, of a particular time period, which was the late 90s. Um, and and I actually came up with the idea while I was seeing a screening of Richard Linklater's film Boyhood. And I started thinking about if I were going to tell a story about, or, you know, in some way about the milieu of my adolescence, what would it look like? And that's sort of where the story started. And I had written other scripts before, but this was the one that I felt really got a bit personal and also had an idea, had an ideology and a certain, certain themes and agenda I wanted to explore that I thought would be seen as kind of stand out for a first time filmmaker. Um, and that's kind of, how I decided on this one. And then also it's a story about a lot of young, young people and it's easier as a first time director to cast young actors. Um, and, and so I felt like this was a good story that was ambitious enough to stand out, but also was achievable. All right. So you come up with this, this idea and boyhood is an inspiration. I know that movie that made me want to make movies and I don't even make movies. <laughs> and then you call up Meg and Meg, you pick up the phone and Rebecca's like, Let's make a movie. So, <laughs> first of all, like, what, what, tell us about how you got involved in the project and also, you know, what got you excited about it? Okay. So, Rebecca and I met probably, gosh, what, 12 years ago now at this point. Um, she had hired me to work on a USC uh, thesis film um, in art department. And we met, kind of hit it off. 
kept in touch for several years. And then I was back doing um, a show in Los Angeles and Rebecca was visiting. We should meet up. You know, I've been working on some stuff. I'm like, yeah, great. Let's go. So we meet up and she tells me about this project uh, that she wants to make that's set in the late 90s. Um, at the time, I had not done a period piece yet. Um, so that was kind of a, a gap in my body of work that I was looking to kind of fill the void. Um, so I was like, yeah, give me the script. I'll give it a read. Um, I loved it. And kind of from there, I was like, well, what do we need to do to get it made? And then truly it was me and her and we kind of, you know, just started tapping into our networks and, you know, kind of going literally piece by piece. And we probably, we were with the project for, we worked on it for just a year, even just going back and forth and making small changes with the script, all that kind of stuff, kind of thinking about well, where do we shoot it? Do we shoot it in LA? Do we shoot it in Texas? It's like, so for a year we kind of went back and forth um, and just picked up little pieces along the way that got us closer to actually making the film. And you're a production designer and a I, producer. Yeah. So what is, I mean, for the people who, who may not be Hollywood people and understand what, what, is, what do those people do? Okay. So the production designer is the person that's in charge of, um, the art department kind of when you think about a film I kind of think about it in a in a the creative trifecta so you've got the director who has the overall vision and then you have the cinematographer and the production designer so we're kind of each the points of that triangle the cinematographer and myself work with the director to create the world that the whole story will take place in um, so basically that's that job then we need producers to help get you know, all producers come in lots of shapes and sizes. You know, some people, there's executive producers that can be, they can contribute help, assistance, connections, funds. Um, then you have physical producers that are on set day in, day out, you know, helping you lock contracts and schedules and all the minutiae and quite frankly, the business aspect of getting a film made. FOMO. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to NetSuite.com slash FOMO. That's NetSuite.com slash FOMO. NetSuite.com slash FOMO. FOMO. I want to be the executive producer. Now, we do have a, we have a producer here. It was Michael. Michael, how did you get involved in the film? And, and I guess what kind of producer are you on this movie? Uh, well, 
I just want to say that Meg referenced to producers coming in all shapes and sizes. And uh, I, I think that's very accurate. Um, oftentimes, someone will say, uh, what, do you, what do you do exactly? You're a producer. Producer of what? What, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, you, you literally go from securing, uh, say, several million dollars to make the movie to taking out the garbage. Uh, if that's what's needed, <laughs> literally taking out the garbage. Although I definitely took out some garbage, you know, um, which is just to say that a producer is similar to, I would say, to the extent that each independent film is effectively a startup business with a product, the movie. Uh, I would say that, you know, the producer, the director is the CEO, of course, and the producer is like, their second in command, you know, uh, in, in many respects or, or their board or whatever. So, um, a lot of people don't think about it that way, but it's actually quite, uh, applicable. Uh, I met Rebecca at South by Southwest, um, at this great party with like actual mermaids in the pool. Um, <laughs> yes, you were there too. Um, so, you know, so we met and then through mutual connections, I was given the script months later uh, and with the understanding that, hey, this project has uh, a significant chunk of the financing. They're looking to close the gap on the financing, shoot in the summer. And, uh, you know, New York is a possibility. Read it. Let me know if you're interested in jumping in and helping put it together. And it was really as simple as that. I read it, was wowed by it. And uh, a couple of conversations later uh, with Rebecca and Meg and, and the team on the West Coast, we were basically at the contract stage um, and jumping, jumping right in because frankly, it was a pretty aggressive timeline as it often is um a lot of things start to come together at the last second and then suddenly you're shooting so uh we had a couple of months of heavy development uh that sort of dovetailed right into pre-production and then um and then we were shooting now it sounds so nice in retrospect it sounds like it sounds so 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 like painless, but I mean, we all know how it works, whether it's entrepreneurship or creative entrepreneurship, you hit a lot of walls, right? So Rebecca, you know, obviously this is, you know, it's a, it's a business endeavor for sure, because you're making a commercial product, but there's so much more for you in, in, in this. It's your first film that you, you've created. It's, it's, you know, you personally, you've written this story. There's so much at stake and I imagine there's a lot of rejection. So Tell us about the challenges that you faced and how you kept moving on when when things got tough. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is um, the industry becomes, it, it's a big industry, but at the same time, it can feel very small uh, once you get into it. And, oh my God, I mean, I can't even tell you how many dozens of people read this script and rejected it. I mean, I I I can't even count, you know, and 
even when I had Meg on board and when we were hustling, you know, I applied for so many labs and grants and this and that. And finally, I won one. And, you know, and that was kind of a big turning point for us, which actually coming back to Richard Linklater, um, he does a really amazing um, artist intensive where he invites two or three filmmakers to like hang out on his ranch and workshop their projects. Um, and the only stipulation is that you... Um, you have to be somebody that went that won a grant from the Austin Film Society, which I did. And it was like a life changing experience because then suddenly I, I truly believe this. And this is no knock on our industry. I think people don't always know what they like until someone tells them to like it. And that's one of the hardest things about being an independent filmmaker is you're telling people that they should like something that they have no proven track record to know if it's good or not. You know, I, I've worked in the business for, you know, 15 years now, but this was the first script I was coming out with and saying, give me money, give me actors, give me crew, you know, and I don't have a proven track record of, of any of that on my own. And so getting these people on board and being able to show that was turned the, opened a door for me, but there was an enormous amount of rejection and like just at a certain point you say to yourself, like, maybe I'm just like not good at this. And, uh, and I had to sort of like continue to find this like well of optimism in myself that it's really, really hard. And then I think to Michael's point, I mean, the pre-production and production process is, is so hard and you're so exhausted. And, but I think when we started casting the film was when the sun started to come out a little bit and we saw like the way that, the talent was responding to the to the team and how enthusiastic people were to come on board um, on the crew side as well. And, and I think we built a really awesome movie family. And that's like once you get a little bit of these, like you only get a small couple of moments where you were like, it's like the sun peeking through the clouds where you're like, OK, we got to keep going. It's not going to rain, you know. I got to think, though, I'm just as you as you're talking, I got to think that you have moments where it's like you apply to the grant or you show it to some production company and they're like, well, you know, this is really interesting. But instead of telling a story about girls growing up in the time of Monica Lewinsky, you know what, we, we'd like it to be about five kids and they live in Montana and they all really like video games. You know, I'm sure you get that because as you said, um, this is a FOMO industry. The minute that somebody likes it, everybody starts charging after it. And that's why you see, you know, in the, all of a sudden they'll be like, right now, Squid, Squid Game is popular. And like, they're like, well, you, here's the next hot Korean TV show. So people, it's trendy, right? And, and but like effortless and timeless storytelling and creativity, it has to be more than that. And you're not just sort of trying to, you know, do what people are telling you to do. So how do you balance the feedback that could help you to make a better product with like people who just want to change what you're trying to do? That's a great question. Um, because there are a lot of people who I met with who people have, I, I couldn't believe some of the things that people said to me about the script, whether things they wanted to change, things they didn't like, characters that annoyed them. Uh, the list goes on. Um, so I guess how do you how do you mitigate that? Well, the way that I tried to look at it is I tried to surround myself with people whose taste I really trusted. And I would go into these meetings with executives or production companies or whomever, and I would 
try to just before I went in, I used to say to myself, okay, how much, how much, like, how much power am I going to give this person if they don't, if they tell me something I don't want to hear? And I think that that was a really valuable tool, not just personally to like develop a thicker skin because you have to have one in this industry, but also to kind of lean into my own judgment and say, you know what, there's a good chance that this person who makes like squid games is not going to like this movie. Okay. But that's okay. But then when I go and I, you know, meet someone like Mr. Linklater or, you know, some of the other really amazing directors and producers who were at that workshop, whose work I greatly admire, I was willing to open my ears to them because I was like, these are people that know what they're doing and I trust them. And that I think only comes with, with time and with enough rejection that you have to start of start to be a bit picky about who you're going to let ruin your day. Now, Meg, you, you mentioned earlier, you had to kind of create the entire environment for this film. And this is a period piece. I mean, it's painful to think of it as a period piece because it's only the nineties. I remember the nineties, but yeah, like there was, you know, you were like, I imagine you're like, well, where am I going to find a Walkman? Right. And so I'd love to hear, I mean, that sounds like a lot of details. Right. And so what are the challenges of doing that? And how do you, I mean, there's a lot of decisions that have to be made. And of course we think about FOMO sapiens need to make decisions and be decisive. Like how did I just, what were the kinds of things that you encountered and how'd you deal with them? Yeah. So the biggest thing I would say is when I'm production designing a film, you've got kind of two worlds in which it happens. You either build the entire world on a stage where you have 100% control of everything you put in there from where you place a window on a wall to where the door is to what the wallpaper looks like, everything. Or you're filming on location where you're finding locations that can work for you and then having to dress them to look what they need to. So for us, we didn't, we were an independent low budget film. We didn't have the, the money, quite frankly, to build everything on a stage. Um, so we were working with locations that we were finding. So there was a lot of time spent kind of finding things that had a timeless look. And then even once we found those, we had to go in. It's like, you know, the first things that always had to go, couldn't see cars, television's got to go, computers got to go, phones. It's basically anything tech related, um, were the first things that have to go. And then you kind of have to replace those with things that are from the correct time period. And the nineties was so iconic with certain things. So it, do, it doesn't take, it didn't take so much to, to overload it so that, you know, the time period. Um, but just focusing on those key things that are seen. So I know we had like game boys, cell phones. We can thank my parents. They have kept everything in their basement in Pennsylvania. So trip there before we started filming. Um, I came back with a bunch of stuff from the nineties. <laughs> Uh, but it takes little things like that to really pull something like this off um, on the budget that we had. Yeah, you got to find that Backstreet Boys poster that your little sister had <laughs> when she was eight. FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages, but I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel the science-backed language learning app that actually works. 
Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. Now, Rebecca, the film is out, and I, I know people are going to be interested in checking out. So tell us if we watch What Breaks the Ice, what we're going to get a little, without any spoiler alerts, of course, but tell us a little bit about the film and where we can find it. Sure. So um, we actually, it was so cool. We got to do a, a multi-city theatrical release um, at the beginning of October, which was like my dream come true. It was very cool. Um, but now the movie is pretty much available. I would say anywhere that you can stream uh, content. Um, it's also on video on demand. The only place like we're not is like subscription based services where like at, right now we're still in the pay for play mode, but it is not a hard movie to find. We are everywhere. Um, and so the film is, um, so what the film is about is basically it's about two, two girls who um, become fast friends during the summer of 1998 in this sort of, you know, rural like vacation spot for where people like will go for the summer with, you know, from, from the city. And so one girl, Emily is like there with her family. She's from Manhattan. The other girl, Sammy's like a townie who grew up there and she works at the local country club, which, which is where the girls become friends. And actually Michael's character facilitates that friendship. Um, and, uh, and so they, you know, become fast friends. And then unfortunately uh, they find themselves at the center of an accidental crime, which is, um, which is not a surprise because it's in the first scene of the movie, but that somebody dies. And so then the the question is going to be whether they stick together or whether they're going to turn on each other, whether they're going to get caught, like what's going to happen. And, you know, that's the plot of the film. I think it gets into a lot of issues of adolescence and growing up and female friendships and sexuality and, you know, losing your virginity. And, and there's a, a third character who's Sammy's stepbrother who kind of forms this like love triangle ish between the three of them. And, um, so yeah. And what was fun about setting it in the late nineties was not just, you know, we had a lot of fun doing it, but it's also supposed to kind of be set around the time of the Monica Lewinsky, Bill Clinton thing. And that sort of plays a, a subtle role in the thematic, um, through line of the movie. It sounds very interesting. And I will be watching it this weekend because it, I, I love that period of time. I was in the summer of 98, I was actually on my Euro trip having graduated from college. So uh, I remember those times well. And it sounds like it's got uh, a lot of mystery and excitement in it. So definitely something to check out uh, when you have some time to stream. Now, I just want to close with, you know, I think about filmmaking is something that drives a lot of FOMO and people, you know, people look at this and they say like, wow, I, I want to either write a screenplay. I mean, I know so many people who have dreamed about writing a screenplay or maybe they want to invest in a film or produce a film or, or even be an actor in a film. And that can be a wonderful thing to do. But, 
you know, it's like anything else, FOMO versus reality. You've just shared with us your journey and it's a lot of work. So I just want to go, go through each one of you and just say, you know, what would you, what would be the advice you would give to somebody who wants to get involved in making a film? And, and, I'll, and I'll start with you, Michael. I think it, it always starts with the script. And, you know, as Shakespeare said, the, the play is the thing in this place. In this case, the screenplay is the thing. And, you know, that, that's, that's, that's the, the blueprint of which everything builds from. And then I think, you know, so if you have a dynamite script uh, and, and, you know, you're, you're, you're jazzed about it, then I think it's really about who is the team um, are you as excited about them as the material? And it's, it, you know, being that, uh, it, it is an understatement to say that financially a film is either, you know, a complete strikeout or a grand slam. Um, that, that is true. So I think knowing that you're, you're sort of dipping into one of the riskiest investments you could possibly imagine and yet one of the most simultaneously exciting um you know often in talking to investors it's it's always interesting to me to find out what motivates someone to write a check and sometimes it's purely financial other times it's it's more intrinsic you know the the, the the value for them is just being part of supporting an artist. And, and, and if there's an upside, great, you know, but that upside might be walking the red carpet at a, a film festival premiere, as opposed to, you know, helping fund your, your, your kid's college. Right. So I think it's like anything in business. It's about going with your gut. It's about trusting your instincts when, when and if you're approached for the project. But, you know, as any private placement memorandum will, you know, clearly state, 98% of independently financed films do not recoup their investment, right? And yet, everyone wants to be in that 2% that either recoup plus two or times two times three or make, you know, an un ungodly amount of money and become an international success, you know, all the while being part of a movie. So, you know, I think it's a really exciting, uh, wildly uh, unconventional, you know, business that is constantly changing. And that is something that, you know, can be a pro and a con, depending on who you ask. But, you know, this is this is sort of a new frontier uh, coming out of COVID. And I would say if anyone out there is looking to invest in film, they should call the three of us. I like that. Always be closing. And you're right. The returns on investment can be psychological, not just financial. Now, Meg, same question to you. I would say almost every element of making film or being in the industry is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, you might think, okay, this project is going to shoot in three months and then be done. I'm going to see money back. I 
as long as I've been doing this, I no part of it has ever been fast. Even when I think it's going to be like something's going to be out, it's always even longer. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's, it's an industry that truly tests your patience. Um, you have to really want to do it because if you, if you don't, it, it's not going to work. I think time is the most, is probably our most precious resource. Um, we never have enough of it. So it always boils down to using when you're filming, when you're in development, you could always use more time. So I think the biggest thing is just using every minute to the best that you can. All right, Rebecca, last word. Yes. Well, I can say um, just to the point of this podcast that I had a lot of FOMO and that's why I became a filmmaker. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, uh, you know, from the time I was 15 years old, I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. I I think Meg stole part of my answer, but I'm going to elaborate on the on the theme of time, which is that it's the only thing that we can't we also can't buy more of and we can't control how much of it we have in our lives. And I think for someone like me um, in particular, although Michael and Meg have been on this journey with me now for years, you know, this was an enormous investment of my life. And I think that that's something to think about is, do you want to spend five years caring that much about something to the detriment of relationships, money, I am not rich. I'm very not rich. And I would like to say that five more times. I'm very <laughs> not rich because making movies sucks up a lot of your time. And guess who's the last guess who's the last person to ask for more money when you're running out? The writer director. And I'm fortunate that on my first film, I actually got paid, which is like a miracle. So thank you to Meg and Michael for that. Um, but it's it's a it's a grind and it's hard. And you're you have to keep caring about something that you have no control over and even now like the movies out in the world i have no control over how people feel about it you also can't control like we got very lucky we have a great cast and our young actors are like crushing the game their careers are taking off we had veteran actors who are really great like that in and of itself was a complete miracle. You don't know what's going to happen. You cast young actors. They made quit acting altogether, and then no one even knows who they are. You know, um, so there's there's a lot of you a lot of risks that you have to take. And I would caution people to not have full. Like I'm really proud of what I, I accomplished and what we accomplished as a team. But I don't think that if people would sneak into my life, they would find it that enviable. And I'm not saying that to like. Pay, say woe is me I'm the luckiest person I got to direct a movie that I'm, I think is amazing and I'm really proud of but I don't think that the day-to-day life is is something to be envy, envious of the day-to-day life is very challenging I've had probably 35 jobs in my life and not and I would say less than 10% of them were like actually making movies, you know, in between the the Hollywood jobs and the big fancy assistant jobs and creative executive jobs and the making of my film. I've had to find all sorts of creative ways to make money and to stay afloat and things that I definitely didn't need an Ivy League education and a master's degree from USC to do. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of, the last thing I'll say is you have to really be egoless in this in the process and be aware that if you step into this, there are going to be some very dark moments. But if you stick with it, 
I think you can come out with something really amazing and beautiful. And that's what I think that we all accomplished here. All right, everybody. You know how much went into this movie, so go out and watch it now. The movie is called What Breaks the Ice. You can find out more at whatbreaktheice.com. Rebecca, Meg, and Michael, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. FOMO. Can't get enough of FOMO Sapiens? Join me on Patreon for ad-free episodes, bonus material, and exclusive content that will help you to master FOMO and position yourself for greater success in both business and life. Go to patreon.com slash FOMO Sapiens to learn more. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on LinkedIn. I love hearing from you, so don't be shy. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstrom. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO. FOMO.